Welcome to Improv Interviews. I'm Margot Escott, your host, and today we have a most wonderful guest coming across the pond, as they say, from Edinburgh, Scotland, and it's the lovely Cameron D. Hi, Cameron. Hello, Margot. Hello from Edinburgh, Scotland, where it's still a bit chilly, but a, sun a sunny day. Well, it's a beautiful city. I love Edinburgh. It's wonderful. So, and I'm, we met when you were substituting for a Jay Suko uh, improv class and uh, we had so much fun and you taught games that I had never played before or never played in that way. And you have a wonderful way of teaching and coaching. So I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, when Jay drops the ball, I take advantage. Absolutely. So, <laughs> So I know you're from Australia originally. Tell me a little bit about your background and your family, if you choose to, and maybe uh, if you got in acting when you were really young and your, kind of your acting improv career from a child up. Oh, from a child up. Okay, so, uh, well, I'm, I was born and raised in Australia. I was born in a town called Karatha, which was probably like 10,000 people. Um, back in the, in 1983, uh, but uh, when I was about one year old, we moved to Perth, which is the capital of Western Australia. So Perth is my home. I'm uh, raised in Perth, um, and my mum is Scottish. My dad is Australian. Um, we didn't have any family in Perth. That was like uh, a new place for me, and um, I did not consider acting or comedy or improvising at all until I was about 20 years old. And I was, I remember the day I was walking along the street coming home from university where I was studying computer science. Um, and, I, and I was thinking of something funny and I thought I could get on stage and make people laugh <laughs> doing that. And then I, so I didn't, I didn't know about improv then I only knew about stand-up comedy. So I tried stand-up comedy and I went along and I did five minutes of open mic and it went really well for reasons I didn't understand at the time. Um, and then I did stand-up like open mics for years, like, geez, seven or eight years. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I don't think I ever got that good at it. Um, I just wanted to make people laugh and I wanted to get that little bit of validation of like, oh, I, you know, I, I said something funny and you approved of it. That's that's what I was after when I was doing stand up. Yes. Um, and then after about eight years of that, I moved to uh, I moved to Scotland where my mum is from uh, just because I wanted to leave Perth because Perth's very isolated. So if you if you drive from any any direction from Perth, uh, it takes you about 10 hours to get to the next major city, which is Adelaide. So it's like there's Perth and then almost nothing for a long, long way. I think they filmed a lot of movies where it's the end of the world and they use that strip of road in Australia. It's like Mad Max country or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, there's a yeah, there's a lot of that in Western Australia. If you like if you like the outdoors and you like the ocean um and you like driving, then Western Australia is a great place to be. And I like those things, but I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like there was like other types of people and other countries nearby. 
So I came over to Scotland. So how old were you when you moved to Scotland? I think I was 28. Yeah. And it was easy for me because my mum's Scottish, which means I have a British passport. So I can just come and set up shop here in Edinburgh. And I continued doing stand-up, but I didn't, I stopped enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying it. Um, I, I think I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it for that reason of like, oh, I want to get some validation. I want to get that, those, that laughter. And that's very hard when it's not going well. <laughs> so like if you do a really bad show, um, I took it very personally and it just wasn't enjoyable. So I quit and I took an improv workshop, took my first ever improv workshop here for eight weeks in Edinburgh uh, with a Californian woman who lived here. And I haven't looked back, been doing it, geez, 10 years now. Wow, that's terrific. It, it is a bit, I don't know, addicting or it's just when you get into improv, I thought I wanted to do acting and I had trouble memorizing all those lines anyway, but improv just seemed a natural for me and for you as well. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what I, what I admire about actors and what I'm jealous about with actors is they can be very precise and they can, they can present a wide range of things in a very precise way and over and over again. And I'd love to be able to do that, but that's not my strength and that's not what I practice. My thing, my thing and what I love about improv is absorbing the moment and reacting to it. Um, that's, that's what I love the most. And is that your strength you mentioned? I mean, do you have some superpowers as an improviser? <laughs> I think I am, uh, I worry a lot about how other people are thinking and how they're feeling. Um, so I'm very aware, aware of that and I pay a lot of attention to other people. And that's, while that can be difficult in real life, on the improv stage, it's a huge asset. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah yeah, it means it means that another person doesn't have to do very much and they can do nothing and I'll still be able to get something out of them. That's lovely. So when did you start teaching? Uh, about five years ago. Um, I moved to Copenhagen and in Denmark and there was an improv theatre there and that's really where I taught regularly for, you know, a, 18 months or so, um, just teaching level one up to level five, their full curriculum. Um, and since then, I've just taught whenever it suited me. So I have another job. I'm a software developer. So I just teach when I feel like teaching, um, which I like um, because I like, I like improv being like a special event for me. I like it being like I, I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. So I try to just do it for the enjoyment. And that includes teaching as well. Wonderful. Now, did you ever travel outside of Scotland to take classes with people like in the US or the or Britain? Tell me about some of the schools you've attended or uh, the big one that springs the big one that springs to mind is I did the five-week summer intensive in Chicago at the IO Theater. Um, right. so that was always like the gold standard for for me. Um, so I did that in 2015, I think. I had great fun. I think that's the place where I understood what the Herald was. Mm -hmm. 
rather than just being like an awkward, difficult format that people find really difficult, I realized it was like there's more of a philosophy behind it um, and that it's a framework for making improv easier. Um, and it's very challenging, but the Herald's still my favorite form, definitely. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and how do you see it as being kind of a basic form for improv? I mean, you said something like that. I can't remember the exact word, but. Um, well, Al, so we get, each week at IO, you get a different teacher. Um, I think it might've been our, I'll, I'll just say it was our, I think our week four teacher said that, okay, you've learned the Herald, you've learned like your opening group game, your three scenes, you've learned your structure. And what he told us was that that structure is what he calls a training wheels, Harold. He's like, once you learn that, that's just your basic uh, fallback position if nothing else is going right. It's a common uh, set, it's a common structure and set of traffic rules that the whole team can adhere to so everyone's on the same page. But what you're really aiming for is something totally new beyond that. Like each night, the, the structure isn't important. You wanna, you wanna improvise not just within that structure, but you wanna improvise a structure. And that's, that was kind of the difference for me. It was like, oh, okay, the Harold's not the structure. The Harold is the idea that you can improvise a whole show, but you just agree with your team at the time, in the moment, this is what our show is gonna be tonight. Yeah. That's a great description because a lot of people are kind of afraid of the Herald. And um, and did you study any place else besides? I wanted to ask you where you met our friend Jay Suko. Oh, God. I probably can't remember the first time we met. We definitely, oh, I guess, I guess he probably came to Copenhagen to teach during a festival. Um, it was something like that. I probably met him at a festival, but then he came to Copenhagen for an extended period of time and helped at the improv theater there. And I got to know him a little bit more. Um, and we just see each other at festivals once or twice a year and catch up. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's how I know Jay. Well, he's certainly lovely and he connects, he has connected me with so many great people like yourself. So do you have a favorite festival um, or what was the first festival you played at? Do you remember? Well, I've done, uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, it was, uh, the first festival was in Sweden. It's called, in a town called Uppsala. U-P-P-S-A-L-A, um, <laughs> uh, -P -P -A, I think. Um, and there's like a small community of improvisers, uh, like university student improvisers, and they work together to put on a show. And I remember that one because they have an actual theater, whereas I was used to performing in basements, um, right. you know, right. performing in bars in front of nobody. Um, but they <laughs> had an actual theater that was filled with like 200 improvisers um and i just had a great show when we got to go on stage so i remember that one that's lovely uh, i was going to mention the, uh, the first place i played um and and was studied at was a little place here in bonita springs florida and it, it was in a a little a little mall very small little mall and it was a former bar 
uh, restaurant place and it still had the rats, you know, running around. And uh, when we'd have a, a show, we'd actually go out, we'd all, the whole team would go out in the little mall and try to get people to come in. Please come see us perform. <laughs> if, if, if I, I mean, I'm talking about my long form improv career, but before I had the long form improv and long form festivals, I did four years of short form. So, and so the first improv festival, well, not improv festival, first festival I did was the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is the biggest arts festival in the world. So right. we, did our, we did our eight week short form workshop, like my first ever improv workshop here in Edinburgh. And then the teacher signed us up to do the Fringe. So, and that got us three weeks every night at 11, it's like 11.45 p.m. at night. <laughs> we got the we got the back room of a bar on the Royal Mile, which is the main street, one of the main streets in Edinburgh. And we had to do the same thing because at the Fringe, you got to go out on the street and drag people in off the street. Um, <laughs> and I remember that because we were the last show on each night. And because we were the last show, we had to deconstruct the temporary wall that the bar put up every day in the morning. They put up a temporary wall to like uh, to separate a small section for the for the show. And every night we had to deconstruct this temporary wall. It was good, good fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really love short form. I enjoy long form, but I, I kind of like short form. I like games. I think that's all wonderful. Now, um, uh, because you're a bit of a scholar, a computer, computer engineer, you, mm -hmm. I wondered oh. if you, I, right away I got involved with looking for books about improv and oh my gosh, there were a lot. Um, but did you read some of the books or did you do that part of the work? Um, I Look, I, I have seen most of the big, like common books, but uh, I couldn't, I don't remember them. Right. Um, okay. I do. I did. I did a lot of learning in workshops with like visiting teachers. We'd occasionally we'd get a visitor from London, or someone would come over from the US, and I learnt pretty much in those um, classes. The books I've looked at all the books, but I've never held on to anything or any one of them in particular. Uh-huh. Well, I know um, this is a generalizations and all generalizations are bad, as Oscar Wilde said. He was Scottish, I believe. Um, anyway, uh, oh, it slipped in my mind. I just, the, oh, the, um, oh, the general, you're going to make a generalization. Generalization, yes. And then I started thinking about Oscar Wilde and his tragedy. <laughs> so I just kind of went off. Um, but uh, I, I find that a lot of people in the UK and other parts of Europe may have more inf be influenced by Keith Johnston's work. Um, and in the States, it's for me, it's a lot of Spolin work and there's other work as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm no expert on any of them, but I would say I like the Viola Spolin style of what I know of it and what I've seen. Um, yeah, yeah. The, and that... If the I.O. theatre is more Viola Spolin, then I definitely am more about the I.O. theatre and about Viola Spolin. I like Group Mind um, and I like Organic and I like Weird and Abstract. Um, yeah, the, the whole like game and premise and UCB style, I, I've only taken classes that in the last couple of years and I like it and I like the benefits of it, but it doesn't hit me as hard as the I.O. stuff. 
Yeah. That's great. That's terrific. We all have different experiences. So uh, here's a personal question. Are you are you married or do you have a partner? No, not married and uh, living the single life at the moment. Well, all our fans on Facebook are going to be rushing to <laughs> check oh, you out. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I'm wearing my good jumper. <laughs> um, so have you ever taken a break from improv? Sometimes we do so much and then we kind of need a break sometimes. Um, yeah, I could. Yeah, I've certainly got fed up with it. <laughs> where I feel like I feel like I'm not it's not as much fun as it used to be anymore um I'm pretty stubborn so I'll tend to just stick oh, with that, that's not a Scottish trait at all is it oh I don't know. I'm <laughs> stubborn I'm quite cheap uh, <laughs> and I take things personally so they're they're three pretty stubborn things, so. um I mean I've I've taken maybe a couple of months off but I'm, I'm pretty stubborn so I'll just stick with it um because whether I take a break or don't take a break I know eventually I'll start liking them again I mean maybe I should take a break but I tend to just bang my head against the wall until I start enjoying it again I, I've been kind of nonstop. I'm celebrating 11 years in improv this month. In February, I started because it was right after my brain surgery. So once they fixed my brain, I was able to do improv. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's good you can get surgery. Maybe we should all get surgery just to fix our brains. I think so. <laughs> anyway, so what do you like to do for fun when you're not like working or? Um, well, recently I've started just exercising in the park so I, I have a skipping rope and i do calisthenics so like um push-ups and sit-ups and squats and skipping um and that's really good uh i really like to be my myself to unwind um so the exercise is good for that it's just time where i can wear myself out in the park and get some fresh air and and um not have too many people talking at me it, it, um i do I, I like other people but i can only take like uh social situations in short doses and then i'm like okay i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna take some time for myself <laughs> now are you doing these exercises in the cold in the park and the cold mm -hmm. yeah. what, what is the temperature there now of course i we we're fahrenheit and you're something else i think uh yeah so we're Four degrees here, which is not as cold as Fahrenheit. So four degrees Celsius. So that's, let's just say that's four degrees below freezing. Um, oh uh, but the trick is, the trick is with exercise is to get your first set done. So once the first set's done, I'm warm. So yeah, and I'm, I'm quite, I've got a little bit of extra fat, so the cold doesn't affect me as much. <laughs> Yeah, it helps keep you insulated, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So do you go to, uh, I know London has several improv groups there, like the nursery and the, is it the Mayberries or the Mayfield or? Uh, oh, God, I know who you're talking about, but the names just immediately slipped my mind. Yeah, I know exactly who you mean. You mean Jules Munns and... Um, yes, yes, uh-huh, Jules. Uh, but I cannot remember what their name is. <laughs> that's all right and then there's a group down in, a group down in living liverpool that i like a lot so there's a lot of improv in 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 uh the uk that i like a lot 
because Scotland's still under the crown, isn't it? Yes, yes, the Queen, our, our illustrious Queen is still the Queen of England, yes. Um, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, there's lots of improv going on here. Actually, Jules Munns from, ah, damn, that name isn't going to come back to me. I keep thinking it's going to, I'm it's just going to spring into my mind. Uh, Jules Munns, I think, was probably the first teacher who visited Edinburgh and taught long form, like the first workshop I took that was long form after two or three years of short form. Um, uh, yeah, but there's there's a lot of, there's a theatre in, in Glasgow, which is Scotland, one of Scotland's biggest cities, um, and they're doing regular courses. And in Edinburgh, Edinburgh is a bit more, we have some teams. We have the Spontaneous Potter who do improvised Harry Potter. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, we, had, we have a couple of jam nights going on, you know, once a month or so. So um, this is the delight of internet. It's the nursery where Jules is. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what the name of their improv team is. The nursery is the name of the theatre, right? Hang on, I'm going to look it up. Nursery. Okay, you're going to reach out to Jules. The Maydays, the Maydays. Maydays, all right, that's right, yeah, lovely. Oh, he's wonderful. We did a, a we did some classes with him. I'm speaking of the royal we now, and uh, took some, uh, and I did a podcast with him, and he's just lovely, brilliant. So, what yeah, a he's great a good guy, good teacher. So you say you like to drive. Where do you drive to? Uh, well, in... Well, when I was, uh, so two years ago, I was in Australia and Perth, in Perth, uh, you have to own a car. I think it's like LA or something. Like if, if you don't have a car in Perth, you're, you're not going to have much of a life. Um, so Perth's great for driving. You can drive, uh, Perth City is, uh, well, the, the greater Perth City is about 100 kilometres. So what's that like? 60 miles up and down the West Australian coast. So it's all beach up and down the, the length of Perth. Um, so there's tons of places to drive. Here in Scotland, um, the thing I like about Scotland is is so compact. So uh, you can drive across Scotland in like four hours, four or five hours. Um, or if you do that in Perth, you end up in the middle of a desert. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you have beaches too, right? There, you have beaches. In Scotland, yeah. yeah. The funny thing, is, they talk about the beaches here like, you know, there's some beautiful beaches. And there are. They're beautiful to look at. But I don't consider a beach beautiful or useful unless you can go swimming. Swimming, yeah. Um, so I'm not that interested in a beautiful beach that is, you know, freezing cold. So... Uh, I, I'm biased, but if you want good beaches and lots of them, I, I say go to Western Australia. Okay, it's a hop, skip, and a jump for me. So that, that reminds me, how has the pandemic affected your life? Do you work from home or, um, yeah? Uh, it's affected me a lot. So March, or well, whenever the pandemic started, March, whatever year that was, 2020, I think, I was visiting Australia for two months and I ended up being there for six months because Australians were not allowed to leave Australia without a good reason. Um, so I spent six months in Australia working remotely to Copenhagen, which was very difficult because 
I would start, I would, they would start work at 3 p.m. my time. So it's a terrible time difference. Um, and then I finally got back to Copenhagen. Yeah, Copenhagen was quite locked down, working from home. Um, but now I've gotten used to working remotely. I'm in Edinburgh for family reasons and I can work remotely. No problem, really. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. So what do you think makes a good improv teacher? Ooh, a good improv teacher. That's a tough question. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll premise it with this. I think the great challenge of teaching improv is that improv is the skill of doing something in the moment. So you have to do something that no teacher can tell you what to do, right? Because the teacher doesn't know what the situation is going to be that you find yourself in. So that's the great challenge of teaching, which is like, I can't tell you what to do because if I tell you what to do, you're not improvising anymore. Uh, so a teacher who can give people and encourage people to, to make their own choices and make students realise that their own choices are valid. Uh, not only valid, but anything else other than their own choices is incorrect. Like, I think that's the great challenge of teaching. And if a teacher can support uh, getting students to make their own choices, then that's a good teacher. Yeah, I think the word no uh, shouldn't be in the vocabulary of a good teacher. <laughs> no, no, do it like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, you certainly should. Yeah, I've had teachers who, yes, just directly say, don't do that, do this. And that's not helpful. Um, I will say the most effective way of teaching that I had, that I have had done to me and I've used in my teaching is to remove uh is to identify what people do in scenes regularly and take that away from them so if someone always does an accent the teacher should tell them you can't do accents anymore um if someone always plays uh, big characters you say okay you can't play a big character anymore and you keep you keep chasing them and taking away their options uh until the only thing they have left is to do something spontaneous. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that very well. Yes, but well, I understand it. Yeah, so <laughs> I understand it. Everybody will understand it. Yeah. I love that. I um, I do a monthly show on Facebook where I play the worst improv teacher ever. Maybe you'll join us this month. And I'm, I'm a combination of the worst teachers I've ever experienced. <laughs> Um, and then I have people come into the class like Jay and some other friends uh, and they're poor students that don't know any better um, that I'm teaching them terrible rules for improv. <laughs> kind that, of that sounds great because I always like it's always quite freeing to have a class do bad improv. So I just set a clock and I say 15 minutes. There is no structure to this. Just do whatever you want. You can be bad. Um, that's quite freeing. 
but I would like to see what you do where you make the teacher do that. That would be quite good fun as well. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's really a lot of fun. So um, it's, it's, it's afternoon. It's almost dinner time tonight, right, for you? Yes, it's uh, 5.40, 20 to 6 in the evening. Um, yeah, you can see the sun going down behind me. <laughs> yeah i can see it nobody else will but i can see it oh i see are we are we just going to be audio are we nobody we're going to be audio on this but oh, okay i'll describe it the, the sun's been going down in the back of my video there you go it's quite romantic but this yes it's beautiful yeah. um so what do you what advice would you give people who are starting out in improv and maybe have a lot of self-doubt and lack of confidence what would you say to those students um if you ever figure out how to get some confidence, then tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God, that's tough. Um, yeah, that's I've, there's there's like probably a hundred things that I could say. Um, I would say I would. OK, so when I, I here we go, this is a, what I would say is. Uh, you have nothing to lose and nothing to gain. Um, so when I, I do an online jam every week and I say that, I say, we're going to do some scenes. It's going to be fun. Uh, we have nothing to lose, which everyone expects me to say, like, you know, we have nothing to lose. But then I say, we have nothing to gain. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is that none of this matters. Um, if you don't control the outcome of what's going to happen, um so do your best to stop worrying about what's going to happen um and just make choices and take action um yeah that would be my one piece of advice if i had to give one piece of advice okay well i think it's a nice piece of advice and you're certainly a lovely gentleman uh and <laughs> i really enjoy speaking with you so um I think uh, maybe we'll kind of wrap it up. I mm -hmm. thought that was lovely advice to give somebody. Uh, you have nothing to gain and nothing, everything to lose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like that one as well. <laughs> I have everything to lose, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. And... Uh, you know, maybe you'll stick around and we'll do some more fun after we stop the show. Absolutely. So uh, uh, thank you so much, Cameron D. And we're going to publish where your jam is as well in our uh, in the podcast uh, website. So people will know how to find your delightful self. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.